All right, guys, if you've got a Bible, I would encourage you to open that up to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Um, I'm not going to lie, I'm still recovering from last week. Uh, man, just what a day of excitement, but man, it took some work uh, to get us there. And so, man, just, but what a great day. Uh, Wes, we are continuing, man, just to be excited for you and for Jeff uh, back in the back, man. Just excited for you guys and the calling that God has placed on your lives. For Bella, uh, taking steps forward in her faith, man, just what a day. Um, and man, we're just, we just couldn't be any more excited about where God is taking us as a church. And uh, man, yeah, just a good day. So Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, let's jump right in. Y'all ready? We are only doing like three or four verses this morning. Y'all should be, actually, whoa, uh, two verses. Sorry, two verses, y'all. I don't think I've ever preached on just two verses before. I'm a little intimidated. All right, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 begins this way. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Quite possibly one of the most quoted passages out of the book of Hebrews this morning, y'all. Um, and so we're going to jump right into this, but to be able to jump into it, we've got to recap last Sunday just briefly, or two Sundays ago rather, just briefly. Uh, two Sundays ago, we walked through Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith. And the writer of Hebrews, man, he just gives name after name after name and story after story after story of people who have lived a life of faith and did bold things in the name of God. People like Abraham and Rahab and Moses and uh, uh, Noah and all these people who just, man, God just calls these men out and these ladies out and says, man, what, look at what they've done through the eyes of faith. But this week, we've also got to keep in mind where we are globally in the, in the book of Hebrews as well. And that is that we are on the orthopraxy side of this thing. We are walking out the practical side of this. And so the writer of Hebrews is going to take what we learned in Hebrews chapter 11, and he's going to direct that to us this morning. So he's going to go from, here's a list of all of these people that you should know and you should be aware of, all of these wonderful stories that we grew up in Sunday school learning and uh, all these stories that we had, you know, big posters of and uh, wonderful stories and crafts that we made, right? We got to take those stories and we got to turn that into action in our own lives and what that looks like. And specifically, he ties us all the way back, uh, if we're, again, just looking globally, ties us all the way back to Hebrews chapter 10, which is where we experience that knot of orthodoxy and orthopraxy. Uh, and so on the orthopraxy side of that, we noticed all of these let us statements that we've kind of been walking through a little bit. And so I just want to remind us briefly of what those let us statements are. Uh, so if you have your Bible, will you look back at Hebrews chapter 10, and let's look at verse 22. So he gives us all this orthodoxy stuff. Uh, since we have a, a confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, blah, blah, blah. And then he gets into verse 22. And he says, let us then draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us, statement number two is in verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope 
without wavering. And then statement number three is in verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works. And he continues in kind of that let us pattern. But what he's doing throughout the rest of the book of Hebrews is he's unpacking each of those statements. So statement number one, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. We kind of walked through that uh, the week after we covered Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, And then he gets to this statement, and let us consider, uh, excuse me, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. And this is where Hebrews chapter 11 and the beginning of Hebrews chapter 12 come into play. He takes the statement about let us draw near, uh, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, and he expands on that and he gives us some more reasons of why we should hold fast to this confession and how we hold fast to this confession. And he began that by giving us this list of people in Hebrews 11. So he says, hey, here's a bunch of people who held fast to the confession. Now you get to go do the same. And so that's why he begins in uh, chapter 12, verse 1. He uses this term, therefore. Because we've got Hebrews 11, therefore, this is what we must go do. So he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let's pause there for just a second because we've got to talk about this term witnesses for a moment. Uh, The term witness can mean several different things, but one of those meanings can be uh, that you are a testimony to something that you've seen. Uh, it can also mean uh, that you are uh, a witness. In other words, you, you are a bystander in something that has happened. It can also mean that someone needs to watch you actively do something today. So, for example, last week I had to go get a, a document notarized, and I had to go to my bank, and I had to sit down because I forgot Wes was a notary and that I could have just called him. Uh, and so I went to the bank instead uh, and aggravated my bankers, and I sat down, and I said, hey, I need you to notarize this letter for me. And they had to witness me signing that letter. I had to wait. I had already printed the letter. It was typed up. It was ready to go. But before I could add my name to it, I had to have a witness in the room who would watch me pick up a pen, put it to paper, and sign my name. And so the question is whether or not that's the term that we're talking about here. Is it someone who is watching us or who has watched us? Or is it that these people are giving witness to something else? Right, And so that's the kind of the conversation we've got to have. It says, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. What are they witnessing? Are they witnessing us or are they witnessing something that God has done? And we have to just look back. It doesn't take a a scholar to look back at Hebrews 11 and go, well, it's not about us. (laughs) It's about what God has done. And so the idea is not necessarily just the idea of a witness, but the idea of, man, we have so many people that we can look to that can be an encouragement to us as an example of what God has done. So in other words, since we have so many great examples to go off of, and I want to pause here for just a second because so many of us have a similar testimony to something like this. Man, my dad was a failure. (laughs) Or I don't know them. Or... I struggle here. I don't know what this looks like because I don't have a good example to go off of. And the writer of Hebrews takes that excuse away from us at this point. And he goes, hey, hey, you may not have had the best home life in the world. Or, hey, your parents might not have been the best example. Or, hey, you may never have had a mentor that walked beside you. And, man, those, those things are great, and, and they're wonderful, and we should have those things. And I want to encourage all the, the men and ladies in the room to, to be that for other people. But the truth is that that excuse gets taken away from us when the writer of Hebrews simply says, just look to God's word. 
Just look to God's word and see the examples of people who lived by faith. And there is enough within the pages of Scripture that we can look to and we can glean from that all of a sudden, man, our lives should should start to uh, return the glory of God or to display the glory of God simply because of the examples that we have to go off of, of what these men and these women did. I mean, you think back through these names that the writer of Hebrews used. I mean, my goodness, Cain and Abel. Cain's probably not the best example, but Abel, uh, Noah, Abraham, Moses, uh, Jacob, Isaac, like my goodness, all of these people who just did incredible things, Rahab. And then I even think about this, uh, the last passage that I just got fired up about two weeks ago uh, in Hebrews 11, verse 32, he says, and what more shall I say for time would fail me to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the other prophets who through faith conquered uh, kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stepped, uh, stopped the mouths of lions, and he just keeps going. He gets fired up about all these things that we have examples of. And it's like, man, we are without excuse at this point. And so the writer of Hebrews says, hey, therefore, since the excuse has been taken away, since we now no longer have a reason to say, well, I can't do that. I've never, I've never seen anybody do that. I never had anybody walk with me and show me how to do that. Okay, great. Can you read? <laughs> Then go pick up God's word, study it, and the Holy Spirit will fill you and encourage you and and lift you up, and not only through just the Holy Spirit, but through the example of all these wonderful people. So therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, we need to do something. He says, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith. He continues on there. So keep in mind, globally, we are in a let us structure already. And then the writer of Hebrews, it's like he gives subpoints. It's like the big point is, hey, let us draw near with confidence. Hey, let us hold fast the confession. Hey, let us consider how to stir one another on. If we were doing a big outline of Hebrews, those would be the three big bullet points that the writer of Hebrews has over chapters 10, 11, 12, and through the end of the book. But then when we get the kind of these subpoints under the second let us, let us hold fast our confession, he gives us a couple subpoints. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set up before us and le- looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. He gives us three subpoints, and that's where I want to spend our time this morning is on these three subpoints of how we hold fast to our confession. So this morning, last week we, or two weeks ago rather, I asked the question, what's the big bold thing God is asking you to do? This morning I want to ask us the question, how do we hang so tightly to that and so closely to Jesus that we see that thing come to be? He gives us three things. I want to look at each one of these one at a time. He says this. He says, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Now, I looked through uh, several commentaries this past week as I was preparing, and um, I'd done a personal study of Hebrews back last fall, almost a year ago now, uh, that I had looked through Hebrews and studied it just on my own. And between that individual study and then reviewing through commentaries this week, there is a wide variety of comments and ideas and thoughts about why the writer of Hebrews chooses to say, let us lay aside every weight and every sin. Some people said, oh, those terms are synonymous. 
that sin and weight are the same thing. And so when we sin, we are burdened, and so we need to lay aside every sin, and we will feel unburdened, and we will be able to follow Christ. Some people said that those two are very two very different things, uh, and that we can examine them each individually. Uh, some people had some combination of those, uh, and this morning kind of where I've landed on that as I've studied God's Word is that there are two very different concepts here. They are closely related, but they are different Uh, They are not synonymous. Uh, And here's what I mean by that. He says, let us lay aside every weight and every sin. Let's examine those. The idea of weight is not necessarily tied to a moral or spiritual failure on our part. Think about that for a second. When you think about the things that you deal with in life, there are some things that weigh you down that have nothing to do with something that you have done wrong. It might be someone else's moral or spiritual failure. It might be some circumstance that you find yourself in, like a lack of resources or time or uh, some relationship that is broken or failing. It might be the loss of a loved one and you're dealing with grief and you're just mourning. Uh, There are lots of different weights that we could indicate to that we go, man, this has nothing to do with something that you've done wrong. It's just a weight that we carry. And this is where that gets challenging. When we think about that verse, he says, let us lay those aside. That sounds really nice, writer of Hebrews. Thank you. But man, when we get down to the real nitty gritty of life, how difficult is that? It is one of the most challenging things of our faith, in my opinion, to have all of these weights and pressures that we have no control over that we haven't caused, that we haven't been uh, the active pursuer of. They've just kind of happened to us in life. And they weigh us down and they burden us. And the writer of Hebrews says, hey, you need to lay those aside. What does that mean for a moment? To lay that aside. Because what it sounds like initially is that the writer of Hebrews just wants us to just sweep it under the rug and pretend like it's not there. Not really to deal with it, but just to, uh, just, yeah. Let me tell you that the language here is much stronger than just a laying it aside. Let me show you. Not only does he talk about this every weight, but he talks about sin. And then he says, it's this thing which clings so closely. So whether it's a, uh, a weight that we haven't caused or whether it's a sin that we have caused, either way, these things almost suffocate us. They cling to us. But the second let us statement gives us an indication of how he wants us to lay those aside. He says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. If I said uh, the word endurance in here, there might be several different definitions to that word as well. Some of us might say, well, there are things in this life that I just endure, 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 endure. Lindsay would say, I endure, endure my husband <laughs> sometimes, right? Like I, we might even say we endure our kids sometimes. It's like, whew, man, they, man, I just, I'm just kind of in the room and I'm just kind of enduring them, right? <clears throat> there might be circumstances or situations that we would find ourselves in that we're just going, we're just waiting until we kind of get through to the other side of that. And so we're enduring it. We're just like, meh, we're in it. And there's no way out of it, but we just kind of have to sit in it. 
It's this idea of patience in that, but it's also the idea of passivity. It's the idea of just sitting by and being patient until the circumstances pass us by. There is another definition of endurance, however, that is quite the opposite of passive patience. The other definition of endurance is this active struggle. And so when the writer of Hebrews says, hey, let us lay aside these weights and these sins that so easily entangle us, that cling to us, that restrict us, that hold us down, then he says, let us run with endurance. There's this idea of an active struggle in our lives. And so it's not this just passive, let me just lay this stuff aside and just let Jesus deal with it. No, no, no. It is this active struggle in our lives where we are constantly in battle with the things that are holding us down. So we have these weights in our lives, some of which we control, some of which we don't. We have sin in our lives, all of which we control. But whether it's a weight or a sin, the idea is that we need to lay it aside through an active struggle. A lifelong active struggle, not just a season of active struggle either. A lot of people don't believe me when I say this, but I really was in good shape at one point in my life. Laugh if you want. That's fine, Hannah. Whatever, dude. All right, so I really was in good shape at one point in my life, I promise. My wife can verify she knew me when I played college soccer, okay? Um, I, I was in good shape. But the thing about my position in soccer was... My position in soccer was a position of endurance, not a position of speed. Okay, and so there were some guys that I played soccer with who were very fast guys, but it was like, man, once they had that burst of energy and that burst of speed, they needed a minute to recover. It was like, man, I ran my sprint, I I attacked on the goal, I made my shot, and, and I either made it or I didn't, but then I needed just a minute just to catch my breath while the play is happening on the other side of the field. My role on the soccer field was not one that ever got a break. I was an outside mid, which means I played offense and defense, which means all 90 minutes of a soccer game with no timeouts or breaks, we are running up and down a field for an hour and a half solid, okay? I was a man of endurance in that. That was one of my gifts. Now, my brother, many of y'all know my brother, Brad, um, he also played soccer. He was a few years ahead of me. But my brother was a a, a defensive player. He always played defense. Um, He was very aggressive. Still is. But anyways, he he was crazy on the soccer field. But he was a short burst guy. He could outrun me in a sprint like nobody's business. If you were to put us side by side and say, hey, run the 40-yard dash, he's going to beat me every single time. But if you were to say to us, hey, we need you to go run six miles, I'm going to outpace my brother through that every single time. There's a difference between speed and endurance. This spiritual walk that we have with Jesus uh, is not a requirement that we be speedy, 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 quick. All right, we don't have to be that guy. But what we do have to be is someone who says, I am willing to take the step every single day with endurance, an active struggle that will last not just a day or a week or a month, but my entire life. And see, many of us will walk through seasons of life where we get that and we're walking closely with God. And then we'll walk through a season where it's like, ah, I'm kind of, I just need, I need, I need a rest. I need a break from this following Jesus thing. And man, the writer of Hebrews is like, no, 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 run with endurance. Man, like, get your lung capacity up. Get your spiritual legs working. Like, you've got to move. And you can't stop in this thing. 
And so when he says to lay aside all of this stuff, what I want us to hear in that is, man, the writer of Hebrews is not trying to underplay anything that we're dealing with. He he says to us, hey, this is a lifelong struggle that we will have of laying aside these weights and these sins. And it's going to be a daily battle. You're going to wake up today and you're going to go, gosh, I got to battle through this sin. And you're going to wake up tomorrow and guess what? You got to battle through that sin. And then you got to wake up the next day and guess what? you got to battle through that sin, and it will continue and continue. And many of us with scars and wounds, guess what? You're going to battle through those scars and those wounds. And they may ease, and they might walk through seasons where they even maybe seemingly disappear, and then out of nowhere, randomly, they'll just pop back up in your life again, and you're actively in the struggle with that again. And the writer of Hebrews doesn't try to downplay that. He says, man, if we're going to really hold fast to our confession, if we're going to really hold tightly to who God is, and if we're going to go do bold things with our faith, then we will actively struggle every day with the weights and the sins that we have in our lives. But the idea is that we lay them aside. The idea is not that we actively struggle and then just allow it to take over. The idea is not that we actively struggle and then get consumed by it. You might know some people in your life who have walked through a deep struggle or a deep hurt and it has just consumed them to where they're almost unrecognizable. That's all they can talk about. That's all they can focus on. They've been consumed by something that the writer of Hebrews says should have been laid aside. Now, the language here also has to do with not just Uh, this idea of endurance, but he's really using a competitive language. And we've talked a little bit about this before, but man, uh, guys who ran races uh, back in biblical times um, did so with a little less modesty than what normal uh, racers would do today. And so uh, to, to define that a little bit more, let me say it this way. These guys who ran these races would literally strip themselves completely down, and many of them ran in the nude. All right? Many streakers back in Olympic days, early Olympic days. And here's why. The idea was that this clothing was restricting their movement. It was keeping them from reaching their peak potential. And so there was no embarrassment or shame for them to say, let me cast aside all of the things that have entangled me and let me get full use of the talents, abilities, and gifts that God has given me and let me run this race to my fullest potential. And that is the language that the writer of Hebrews uses with us today. He says, hey, there are these weights and these sins that have, uh, that have clung to you, that are on you. And it's like, you need to cast these things off. And there is no shame in that. There is no fear in that. It is just the idea that God has called us to do something big. And if we're going to do it, we've got to first be unhindered by anything in our lives. And so as we think about Hebrews 11, what we covered a couple weeks ago, And we think about that question, what has God called you to do that is so big that only God can do, right? If we think about that concept, then the next thing that we have to say is what is our responsibility in that? Our responsibility is to be unhindered. So what is it for you? What is the thing that has clung to you? What is the thing that wraps you up? The older I get, the more claustrophobic I get. I've noticed that. There used to be, like, I don't know if anybody else has experienced that, but it used to be like I could get in really tight spaces and it didn't bother me. 
But now I'm like, man, if you even start to like wrap me up in anything, I'm like, get off me. Like, get off me. I don't like the idea of not being able to move. I don't like the idea of being restricted. And there is almost this gut instinct in me, this fight or flight thing that kicks in where it's like, I need to get out of this. And I wonder where that is for us spiritually sometimes. I wonder where that fight or flight mode is for us that when sin and weights begin to trap us and begin to cling to us and begin to cut us off from doing what God has called us to do, I wonder where the same passion and zeal is to get out of that. Because, man, you start wrapping me up and I start getting claustrophobic, I'm punching you in the face until I get out of there. Love you guys, but I'm punching you in the face. It's going to happen. Maybe not Jewel. I don't think I'd punch Jewel. That would be a bad idea. All right, but Jeff, I think I could take Jeff. I'm just kidding. All right, so, but I get wrapped up, man, and I'm like, I got to get out of this thing. And where is that same passion and zeal in our lives when sin and weights entangle us to go, I've got to get out of it. I've got to lay it aside. I've got to actively struggle against this thing, and it's got to get out of my life before it consumes me and stops me from being the person God wants me to be and doing the big thing that God has called me to do. We don't live that way many times. And I think maybe it's because we don't really understand the true effect of sin in our lives. We get real passive in it. Oh, it's just a little, a little thing. It's not that big a deal. Oh, it's just a little stumble. God will forgive me. I'll live in God's grace and it'll be great. Oh, it's just a little thing that I do that's not that big of a deal. No, that sin and that weight, it is restricting you from the thing that God has called you to do. And the writer of Hebrews says, lay it aside. Cast it off. Get it away from you. It's got to go. So the question for us this morning is, what is it for us? What is the thing that is clinging to us? What is the thing that has restricted our movement spiritually? What is the thing that has stopped us from living in peak performance of who God desires us to be? We've got to lay, away, lay aside every weight, and every sin which clings, and we have to run with endurance the race that has been set before us an active struggle. But that's not the only two statements that he gives us. He gives us a third statement there. Now, this one doesn't follow the exact same pattern. There's no let us there, by the way, if you're just looking at that, but there is a change in verb. Okay, so we've got the first verb is lay aside, so lay. Uh, the second verb is run, and then the third verb is look. And so we know that even though he didn't necessarily follow that exact same pattern of let us, we know that it's a separate thought. And so let's see what this separate thought is. What do we want to look to? He says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. So not only do we need to lay aside these things, these weights that we may or may not control, these sins that we definitely control, not only should we actively struggle with those in our lives so that we can break free of the things that are clinging to us, but there's this idea of focus and intensity. That we focus our eyes on Jesus, that we lock on to him. And that he becomes the ultimate goal and prize for us. When I would run these miles back in high school and college, uh, one of the ways that I tricked my mind and my body into running further than I could before 
was that I would pick small goals. So I would literally, as I was running, it would be like, okay, I'm going to run as hard as I can to that stop sign. And I would run to the stop sign. And then once I got to the stop sign, I would look another 100 yards down there. Okay, I'm going to run to that sidewalk. All right, I'm going to run to the pizza shop. And I would get to whatever it was. But I would always, in my mind, have a goal of where I was trying to go. And as long as I had that thing, as long as I had something that my eyes were locked on, and man, it really was. It was I would look up and I would see that stop sign, and I was literally counting paces. Like I remember running down the road, and it's been a long time ago, Duncan, all right? But I remember running down the road, and it would be like, okay, 15 more steps, 10 more steps, five more steps, boom, I'm there. Sidewalk, 100 steps, 50 steps, and I would literally count down in my head how long it was going to take me to get to these goals. But my eyes were always fixed on where I was trying to go. The writer of Hebrews, he says, man, listen, if we're going to do big things for God, if we're going to live up to this cloud of witnesses that surround us, if we're going to live into the thing, if we're going to come with boldness into God's presence, if we're going to hold fast to our confession, we've got to lay aside everything, we've got to run with endurance, and we have to keep our eyes locked on Jesus. He has to be the goal and the prize for us. He has to be the end all be all of everything that we do if we are truly going to do something big in his name. Many times churches get distracted by let's grow a room or they get distracted by uh, let's uh, fill pews or baptistries. And sometimes we get distracted by why we do those things. Sometimes we as individuals get distracted by why we do the things God has called us to do. If ultimately Jesus is not our goal, no matter what the success is in the room, we have failed. Last week as a church, we got to celebrate a lot of big things, man. I mean, we saw God just do some incredible things. There are not many churches in our area that have baptized 11 people this year and have ordained three men this year and have done all of the things that we've done, community outreach pieces and next gen. There are not very many youth groups in our area that are growing. There are not very many children's programs in our area that are growing, okay? To, to have all of those things happening in our church body, even just to have one of those would be exciting, but to have all of them in, we had all the reason in the world last week to celebrate. But if Jesus is not our goal, then all of that means nothing. We've just made some cool pro programming that people like to come to. Jesus has to be our goal. It's that simple. If you are running a spiritual race today, which I pray that you are, your goal is Jesus. Your goal is to look and be like him. Your goal is to be in his presence. Your goal is to live out his commands. Your goal is to be more and more and more like him every single day. And so these things that cling to us, these things that restrict us, we have all the more reason to lay those aside because they don't help us look like him. They distract us from the goal of Jesus in our lives. And so they've got to go because our goal is to be Jesus to the world around us. Our goal is 
is to be in the presence of Jesus for all of eternity. Our goal is to look like Jesus in all that we do. Our goal is to complete the great commission that Jesus commanded us to do. Literally every motivation that we have is centered in who Jesus is and who he desires us to be. And if it is anything outside of that, it needs to be cast aside today. Which brings up the question, what's your motivation for all of this? It brings up the question, man, we want to do these big things for God, but why? It brings up the question, man, I want to see God do amazing. I want to be an Abraham, a Moses, a Rahab. Maybe you don't want to be a Rahab, that would mean you're a prostitute. But I want to be, some, I want to be all these amazing things for God. But why? Why do you want to be those things? Is it because you want your name puffed up? You want people to go, man, look at Chris. Woo, what an amazing, godly man. Is it because you want the respect and the honor of people around you? Is it because you have some desire to be competitive with people around you? I want to be a better husband than that guy. Or is it simply, that's who Jesus has called me to be. And I desire to be that because of who he is. Motivation matters. I always tell a story anytime I'm giving a, pure, a purity talk to teenagers. I always ask the question, man, uh, if you were to take your girlfriend out on a date and you showed up at their house and you had um, flowers and candy, you'd washed your car and vacuumed it out, polished it, got it all ready to go. You had planned out the perfect date. You knew her favorite movie and her favorite uh, uh, restaurant to go to. And you knew every aspect of this date was going to go perfectly for this girl because you had planned it to detail for her. And you get done with the date and the girl is completely just swooned. She's just done. Man, what a wonderful date. Thank you so much. It's been so great. And you're dropping her off at the door and she's just melting and she says, let me ask you a question. Why did you do this for me? And you go, my mama told me to. You just killed it. All right, like you just destroyed any amount of movement you had created in that date, man. She is just like, nah, I'm good, never mind. Because your mama told you to, really, bro? That's the best you got, right? Like, no, I'm done, right? Like, no, thank you. Motivation matters. If you had done that same date the exact same way, and when she asked you, hey, why did you do this for me? If you had looked her in the eye and you had said, because I love you, and because I wanted you to have the best experience that I could possibly offer you, and I have listened to all of your favorite things, and I've been paying attention to who you are, and man, I just really wanted to provide just the most incredible night for you. Motivation matters. When we get into the spiritual walk with Jesus and we talk about laying aside every weight, man, we can do that out of selfish ambition and gain. There are plenty of people in this world who have laid aside sin and weight just so they can impress people around them. It's not a good enough motivation. We can talk about running the race with endurance. There are plenty of people who have stayed in the church and kept a good reputation with people around them for their entire lives but their motivation was all wrong. There are plenty of people, Jesus even says, who will stand before me on the day of judgment and they will say, Lord, Lord, and he will say, depart from me, I never knew you. And they'll say, but God, I did all of these things in your name. Yeah, but you didn't know me. 
you didn't really do this for me. Motivation matters. We got to have our eyes locked on who Jesus is. We got to focus on him and he has to be our prize and our champion, our victory. He's got to be every bit of the motivation behind every step we take. You want to have a good marriage? Great. Have it because Jesus asked you to have it that way. You want to be a good father? Awesome. Be that because that's who Jesus desires you to be. You want to be a good mother? Awesome. Be that for no other reason than the fact that Jesus desires you to be a solid mom. Don't do it as you compete. Don't do it as you compare yourself to anyone else. Just that Jesus desires it. He says this, verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What I love about the statement, he calls Jesus our founder and our perfecter. This points to this idea of salvation, but also this idea of sanctification. Salvation and sanctification are two very different concepts in the life of the church. Let me define that for you very briefly. Salvation is this. This is the moment where we come before God and we say, God, I need you. I am a sinner bound for hell and I have uh, disobeyed and I have lived a life that dishonors you. I need forgiveness. I need your grace in my life and I need your Holy Spirit to fill me that I can actively live a life for you. In that moment, salvation occurs. Scripture tells us that the moment we confess uh, that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, our name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Salvation is ours and no one and nothing can ever take that from us salvation boom mark it down you confess jesus christ as your lord and savior it's yours and here's the beautiful thing about it is in that in that moment scripture also tells us that god declares us righteous we're not righteous (laughs) but god declares us as righteous in fact if we were to look back at hebrews 11 i want you just to see just a couple of things about uh these men Uh, that God called uh, out on this thing. So look with me very quickly at verse 4 of chapter 11. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as what? Righteous. Look with me down at verse uh, 7. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of uh, of his household, by this he condemned the world, <clears throat> excuse me, and became an heir of the what? Righteousness that comes by faith, right? We could keep going. Let's look at do 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 do. We could keep going. Um, bum, 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 bum. Um, yeah, there's more in there. You can keep going. Uh, it's there. Uh, there's several righteousness pieces that happen throughout this course. But as you look through all of these names, there is this repetition of this idea of not only faith, but righteousness being commended to them. And here's the concept. The moment that we place our faith in Jesus, righteousness is ours. And the definition of righteousness is that you are right with God. All the things you've done wrong, they're gone. It's this idea of justification. I heard a pastor a long time ago uh, say, what's the definition of being justified? It is just as if I'd never done it. Justified. We get justified the moment that we call upon the name of Jesus. But here's where the real work begins. 
Then we get all these concepts in Scripture that talk about sanctification. And sanctification is the journey to become that which God already sees us as. God declared you as righteous. He justified you. He took all the sin and the shame. He cast it aside. And now you are on a journey to become what God has already declared you as. And so every single day we wake up and we go, today, God, I'm on this journey and I'm taking a step to be more of who you want me to be. Sanctify me, God. Show me the things that need to be laid aside. And we take that step. And then the next day we wake up and guess what? There's another step and there's another step and there's another step. It is sanctification is a process that we walk out. But here's what I love about Hebrews chapter 12, verse three. He says, as you do this, look to Jesus, the what? The founder and the perfecter. He saved you and he sanctifies you. What you're doing is not in your power, but in God's. And so as you think through all of this stuff that is clinging to you, as you think through all the things that are hindering you from being the man or woman that God has called you to be, here's what you got to know, man. You got to lay that aside, but you are not doing that in your own strength. You are doing that through the strength of the God who loves you, who said, I founded that in you. I planted that in you. I instilled that in you, and I will see it through. I will make sure that you become the person I desire you to be. And so, man, the pressure is taken off of us. Man, the, 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 the responsibility of that. Listen, there is responsibility for us to say, we've talked about it already, i got to take a step. But as I take that step, it is in the strength of God, not my own. And so these mountains that are in my life, these strongholds that seem to be there, they are not yours to overcome in your own strength. They are there to be overcome through the strength of of Jesus Christ, who is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. And then what I love is this last statement about Jesus. It says, man, look to him. He's the founder and the perfecter who for the joy that was set before him took life easy and stayed in heaven right next to his heavenly father and never did anything challenging. Nope. For the joy that was set before him. Sat in a life of luxury and enjoyed every blessing that a holy God should enjoy. No. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and then seated at the right hand of the Father. See, the reason that we have to do all of this Abraham, Noah, Isaac, Jacob, Rahab, all those people are wonderful examples. But Jesus, Jesus is the ultimate example of a life of struggle, a life who overcomes, a life who is willing to run with endurance the race set before him. And he did it with joy. Many times in our walk, we can become bitter. God, why do you have to do it this way? <laughs> why can't you just snap your finger and fix it all, God? Jesus, with joy, looked at the path that was set before him and he walked it. I wonder if we can say the same. The rest of Hebrews chapter 12 unpacks everything that we've just talked about in Hebrews 1 and 2, or chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. 
He's going to take this concept of uh, uh, drawing near to God, uh, laying aside everything, looking to Jesus. He's going to take all of these let us statements, and he's going to expand that into a third set of subpoints. And so what I'm going to encourage you to do for the sake of time as we walk through this sermon series, this is the only passage of scripture in the entire book of Hebrews I'm not going to preach verse by verse. Because literally he just takes it and he breaks it down even further. And so what I want to encourage you to do this week is to take Hebrews chapter 12 and really just dive into it on your own. Study it. Look at it. See what God has for you. And then next week, uh, you get a break from me for a little while. Wes is going to be preaching for us next week as I head to Pennsylvania to preach the wedding for uh, John and Olivia. Uh, And so we're looking forward to what Wes has uh, been studying and what God has laid on his heart. Y'all come back and be a part of that. The following Sunday, we'll be back, and we'll jump back into Hebrews together, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to get through the last chapter of Hebrews and wrap this thing up almost a year into it. How about that? Cool? All right. Guys, I want to challenge you this morning with a thought that I left you towards the beginning. What is the thing that's clinging to you that needs to be laid aside, whether it's a weight or a sin? Lay it aside. Trust that Jesus, who is the founder and perfecter of your faith, will help you, and that it is motivation that matters, that your eyes need to be locked on Jesus as you become sanctified in this walk with him. Let me pray for you. We're going to sing a couple more songs together, and we'll fellowship this morning. Let's pray. God, motivation matters, and that includes my own. It's not something that I just preach this morning for other people, but God, I pray that you would check my my motivations. God, that you would examine my heart and my life, God, and see if there's anything in me that is not aligned with who you are. And God, if there is a weight or a sin that has entangled me, God, that is restricting my ability to be the man you've called me to be, God, I pray that you would help me to lay that aside through your power as you perfect me. And God, this morning, I pray that for those who are in this room. God, that we would be a people who desire with passion and with zeal to be the people of God you desire us to be. And that if there is anything in us, God, whether we label it as small or big, it's all weight and sin in your eyes. And if there is anything in us, God, that is restricting, that is hindering us, God, from being who you desire us to be, God, I pray that today would be the day that you break us out of that, that today would be the day that we begin an active struggle, taking steps and measures to cast the stuff out of our lives and to lay it aside, and that, God, through your strength, we would accomplish it. Jesus, be the focus of our eyes this morning. Take all the distractions of life away and allow us to lock onto you, God, as the finish line. And don't let us stop running, Father, until we've reached it. Father, we love you. We praise you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.